Last weekend, as we were preparing for our episode, Hurricane Harvey struck the Texas Gulf Coast. We're a Texas-based company with strong ties to Houston and the Gulf Coast, and the devastation that Harvey wrought turned our world, and even more so the world of Houston and Gulf Coast residents, upside down. The devastation is huge. The number of people affected is in the tens of thousands. It is simply beyond imagination. Our episode today will not feature our regular sponsor. In fact, for the time being, we will be foregoing sponsorship in order to promote Harvey Relief at the beginning and end of every episode. As I record this in Dallas, there are still homes in Houston and the Gulf Coast literally, physically underwater. If you're looking for a way to help, there are tons of organizations out there, and we encourage you to donate or get involved. If you don't know where to turn, we're recommending Northwest Assistance Ministries in Spring, Texas, one of the communities affected by flooding. NAM, as we call it in spring, is an organization we're very familiar with, who does great community work and has been working tirelessly since the flooding to help displaced people in and around the spring community. To donate to Northwest Assistance Ministries, simply go to our website, productiveministry.org slash Harvey. That's productiveministry.org slash Harvey. We'll redirect you straight to their Harvey Relief donation page. Every little bit helps. And please continue to pray for the Texas Gulf Coast. Productive Ministry, episode number 26, The Nashville Statement. On August 29, 2017, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, a coalition for biblical sexuality, in partnership with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, released the Nashville Statement. The National Statement's 14 articles has drawn both praise and criticism in the early days of its release. Due to both the high-profile nature of its signatories, as well as the place and culture it carves out, we wanted to have a conversation about its contents. What follows is a conversation between Rocky and Joe Paris, a North Texas pastor and member of the Evangelical Philosophical Society. Welcome to Productive Ministry. Our guest today is Dr. Joe Paris. Joe, I'm so glad you could finally be on our show. It's been a long time coming. I know. This guy has been begging me to be on. I'm just kidding. No, we're really no, happy. that's pretty true. Yeah, we're really happy that you're on. Okay, so the reason that I want you on the show today, and I thought you would be a good person to talk to, was that just this last week, on August 28th or 29th, there was a document put out called the Nashville statement. Yes. And it is a statement on biblical sexuality put out by evangelical leaders um, within the United States. And I just felt like it was really important to have a conversation about what was going on. And your background, I know, is in specifically in apologetics. You're in the business of helping people understand things that are nuanced. Yeah. Uh, and so I thought this would be a, a perfect a perfect discussion to bring you in on. So again, thank you for your time and thank you for being with me and my listeners here. So did you read the document? I did read the document. Yes. I came across it this morning and uh, I saw an article on Yahoo and then, uh, and then you and I started talking about it earlier this afternoon. So yeah. um, it's all happening so fast. It, it is. literally it's came great. out just 
as we're recording this last night. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's uh, already on Yahoo this morning and already splitting some division and lots of discussion and controversy and uh, some good and uh, some probably not so healthy. Yeah. I just, one of the things I like to do on, on this show is to help provide frame of reference for ministry leaders, a yeah. way to, because there's so many issues that are happening now. Sometimes it's, it's difficult to to know which paradigm you're coming from and and how to shape an argument or what you should think about it. Like recently, we did a lot of episodes over the past year, as you can imagine, about racism. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, we just want to help frame frame the issue. So my first question is, why is a document like this necessary? Well, I think there's, you know, a lot of ambiguity today on what constitutes Christianity. I know I was listening to a radio program several years ago and a guy came on talking about this issue of just same-sex movement, transgender, LGBTQ, stuff like that. And uh, he came on there saying, well, I'm going to answer this from a Christian position. And so I was super excited about this. And in the midst of him giving an explanation, I realized that's probably not an explanation that I would give as a Christian. And yet many times when we say this is a Christian position, that has to be qualified and that has to be explained because I think we have to define our terms. If we don't define our terms, I think there's a lot of confusion because we could be saying the exact same words, but mean two completely different ideologies. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I was struggling with immediately was that this is an evangelical document Mm -hmm. and there's more than just evangelical Christians. Yeah. So what's up with that? Yeah. (laughs) That's my first question. What's up with that? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, don't we all read the same Bible? I think we do, but I mean, I think we have to be, we have to be honest enough to realize that we all bring a different set of eyes to it and and not to say that the text changes, but I think we do bring presumptions and presuppositions to anything that we read, not just scripture, but anything that we come, we come loaded. And I think we are in a dangerous position in a tenuous position when we don't recognize that we have a natural built in bias. Atheists have bias. Christians have bias. Everyone has a bias because that's just part of being a human is that we are preconditioned to think a certain way. It's not bad or good. If we don't check those preconditions, that's when it gets, I think, very dangerous. I, you know, I have uh, I'm about to do something to you that I hate when people do to me. Um, I hate when people ask me to speak for all minorities, which is the thing that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it it drives me crazy because there's no way that I can do that. In that, know that I'm about to ask you to speak for all evangelicals. <laughs> I don't why, know if they would elect me, but yeah. <laughs> why? Why this issue? There's so many yeah. social justice issues. Why this issue? Why is this the one that evangelicals are having meetings about? And yeah, I, I mean, I think it's. I think there's a couple ways to answer that question. I, first, I think you could you could play that question ad infinitum. So let's say it was another issue. You could say that to that. And then why aren't you? Fo- so I think I'm a little bit nervous when people ask that question, because I feel like we're just kicking the can down the road because right. you're just saying, well, why this issue? Okay, well, let's switch to this issue. Well, why that issue? You know? And so I, I always want to check the person and say, okay, really, is there, do you have a heart for this? Or are you just really just delaying the conversation? Just saying, well, it could have been another issue. It right. could have been another issue. And then I think in addition to that, as, we talk about this issue. It just seems like culture. We really, I think we're responding more to what's going on in culture. So if anybody's propagating this issue, I would say it's the secular culture. 
Um, I mean, you just see, I mean, you go back to 10 years ago, there was not a movie out there. There was not a TV show out there uh, that was really having a same-sex couple on it until Brokeback Mountain came out. And then it was like, oh my gosh. And then now it just seems like it's normal. But I remember that was a big contentious thing. I don't know if you remember that, but like Christians were up in arms and like, don't go see this movie. And then Will and Grace came out and it was like, you know, kind of put like some humor to this um, ideology. And so... I really would say I don't think the Christians have brought this to the table. I think Christians have just been forced to go to the table because it's just so prevalent now. Right. And do you think that the Christian response, I say that as if I'm not one. <laughs> yeah. Right. What's, uh, do you, we'll get back to that in a second. Yeah. But do you think that the, the Christian response to this is, is measured and appropriate? <sighs> I mean, that's a loaded question. Some, yeah. Some, yeah. no. I mean, uh, I think in any camp, in any group, in any organization, you're going to have those who are going to be fundamentalists. You're going to have to be those that are just w- would say something. I'd go, whoa, I don't know if I would take it that far. And then you're going to have some who I would say I'd take it further. I've I've always wrestled in my spirit and where I've kind of landed, whereas I feel like if both the left and the right, the liberal and the conservative are kind of a little bit nervous about what you're saying, I think you're probably in a good position. Right. It seemed to me like Jesus was eating with sinners, but then he was also affirming the way that they should live. And yet people called him a friend of glutton and sinners. And so I think there has to be a balance there and it has to be measured, but it also, I think we always constantly have to be checking ourselves with others who don't, who don't fall into our tribe. And so I think we have to have these conversations with people that we would not say align with our beliefs because I think that helps us to be honest because it, it's very easy to just be a yes man, uh, you know, just to be in a group and be like, yeah, I affirm that, I affirm that, I affirm that. So all you ever think is that everybody agrees with you and you don't ever get to see things from a different perspective. I, I wrote a blog several months ago when um, just the whole political campaign thing was going on and Donald Trump had just been elected. And some of my friends were posting on Facebook, you know, if you're a supporter of Donald Trump, I'm going to defriend you. And so I wrote this blog on just mm-hmm. affirming people to say, hey, I think these are the people you really need to make sure are still your friends because they have a viewpoint. Maybe you don't agree with it. You probably don't agree with it. But isn't that beauty in that, that we can talk and not be so – not so vigilant against one another, but to say, Hey, you see something that I don't, I've respected you my entire life. Help me understand this better. I may not change my opinion, but at least we can have a dialogue. I think dialogue is lost in the 21st century. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like just not that this, this podcast isn't about this at all, but I just want to affirm what you were just saying. Cause I always feel like, why does every conversation, why do I, when I approach a conversation, why does it have to be a debate? Why can't it just be an exchange of ideas and, and people don't, do that anymore. People are so emotional about their beliefs, Mm -hmm. so attached to their beliefs. Yeah, but see, with the absence of knowledge becomes becomes emotions. I mean, the vacuum is going to be filled. And so I feel like people today are less informed. So it's more rhetoric than discussion. And so I have to get argumentative. I have to get upset because I really don't know what to say because I haven't studied the issues well enough. And so I think, you know, a hundred years ago, I think people were more informed about the issues of the day. And so there could be dialogue and discussion. And it wasn't just a simple one-liner, but it was a thought out conversation that people, and I just don't think people can have it today because it's social media, it's Twitter, it's 140 characters. There's just no context to it. Absolutely. And one of the, uh, if you, if you're a listener and you haven't read this document, um, we will make sure to include a PDF or a link to the entire document, uh, the actual document that you can read 
uh, and download and, um, you know, have discussions about hopefully healthy discussions. We hope, um, one of the, one of the more, more controversial statements is article 10. Mm -hmm. Will you read article 10 to me? I will. Article in front of you. I do. Article 10 says, uh, we affirm that it is sinful to approve of homosexual immorality or transgenderism and that such approval constitutes an essential departure from Christian faithfulness and witness. And then the second aspect of that, it says we deny that the approval of homosexual immorality or the transgenderism is a matter of moral indifference about which otherwise faithful Christians should agree to disagree. Could you say that in another way? <laughs> um I think, As, I mean, am I wrong in saying essentially they're saying if, if you think that this, if you're a Christian and you believe this issue is up for debate, you are not a Christian. I think, I think that would be safe to say what article 10 is saying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So what's up with that? <laughs> like that. Why be so divisive? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've met people that are fall into this camp and just to be very clear, I don't fall into this camp. Um, yeah. I, I think that a person can have, I mean, I just affirm that people have sin in their life and they continue in that sin and that would not nullify their salvation. Right. Um, it's very interesting that evangelicals are very much, very much defending of you can't lose your salvation, once saved, always saved. And yet when it comes to some of these social issues, they're very quick to say, well, that person, they're not a Christian anymore. Right. So I don't know why they don't see the duplicity of that. I don't know why I see the, just, just the difference in the viewpoints. Well, and you know, I think, I feel like um, there's two sins in the church. Yeah. You can be forgiven. There's two unforgivable sins in the church. Poverty, I know, which is a tough thing to say, but if you're like poor and needy, then for whatever reason, that's like, well, whatever. And then yeah. this, the gay issue. Yeah. Like those are the two things that people really struggle with uh, in the church today that seem to be really divisive issues. Yeah. Um, and I think that at the heart of this is fear. Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a lot of fear about the world changing. Yeah. How do we as church leaders, how do we help, help our congregation address these fears? Because there's so much, there's so much fear of, it's not even that we're afraid of sin. Um, cause you, you don't have to be in a church very long to know that we're not afraid of yeah, sin, Yeah. but, but we use, we use these stories of, you know, gay people are pedophiles or, mm -hmm. or whatever yeah, yeah. And underneath the surface, there's boiling these issues that are very fear-based. So how are we supposed to address this issue? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think if I, if I can just go maybe one step deeper on this, mm -hmm. I think I get a little bit frustrated. I get a little bit concerned when uh, a statement like this is put out there. And the natural assumption, unfortunately, for a lot of people is that it's seen as an attack and it's not seen as very loving. I, I think the most loving thing that we can do as Christians is affirm truth. Right. Um, and so many times and many groups and many camps and many people have not done so in a loving manner. It's done in a judgmental. It's done in a very superior way of I'm going to tell you and stuff. But I read stuff like this and I see things like this and, I, and maybe this is just me being biased towards my tribe. But to say I see it as as an act of love, as an act of an olive branch to say, hey, here's what we believe. Um, when I go to a doctor, I want him to tell me what's going on. I don't want him to yeah. sugarcoat it. Now, can the church be better about its medium and its message? Absolutely. We have right. done a poor job at this. 
But I think this, I think that starts way before we ever fill out the national statement. I think we should be friends with people who are of the same sex right. lifestyle because now all of a sudden we're building context to it to where we have a relationship and it's not an agenda. Right. And many times it's seen that way. It's a, we've got to end this ideology. Well, here's the thing that ideology isn't a person. Right. And that's what we forget. And so what I actually really loved about this national statement was articles one, two, and three, where it talked about affirming the humanity of mankind, affirming that they were created in the image of God. I think we miss that a lot of times. And so it's not really that we want to help same-sex people or transgender people. We really want to get our ideology across. And that's that's wrong. It yeah. shouldn't be about the ideology. It should be about those about people. Exactly. So and I there's and there's the difficult there's the difficulty. When I read this document, theologically, is there anything that I have a problem with? No. Yeah. I 100% believe that the Bible is true. Yeah. Uh, and if the Bible says that something is sinful, that it's sinful, but there was still something very something about the the way the document was put together that put a puts a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Do I agree with it 100%? I don't, I almost, in some ways, I don't think that the, that it goes far enough Mm -hmm. because in the title, even it says, it says, uh, something about biblical, a context for biblical sexuality or something to that effect, but it's not, it's specifically about transgender and homosexuality Mm, That's great. and it doesn't, it doesn't address biblical sexuality in minor points. It does, but it doesn't, doesn't talk anything about common law marriage yeah. and the destructive nature of that yeah. doesn't deal with pornography yeah. doesn't yeah. deal with adulterers and it doesn't deal with like divorce in the church and yeah there's a whole spectrum of human sexuality and this is what i'm saying like this is this is where things things like this start to disconnect to me because mm-hmm. it's all very specific yeah. you know and when we talk it's the same thing with poor people we talk about welfare recipients who are you know, on food stamps and taking care of the, you're taking advantage of the government and they're going to take advantage of me and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, there's much like, it's a much broader discussion. Like, why are we picking on like the five people who are going to, you know? Yeah. So, and you, and you know, my background, you know, I worked at a Christian school for 13 years. And so obviously this was a discussion that we always had. And one of the things I always affirmed to my students was, hopefully we're spending just as much time talking about premarital sex as we are talking about same sex. Right. Because it's somewhere in the church, we kind of became okay with premarital sex. Now we would never say that publicly, Mm -hmm. but we really never chastised anybody for it. You know, it's almost like that became like, you shouldn't do that, but it's an abomination if you're in a same sex. And I'm like, man, scripture is pretty clear on both points that it's outside of God's boundaries to have premarital or to have same sex. And they, you know, they, they address the uh, chaste, issue mm-hmm. within one of the articles and so we want to give them that for sure yeah yeah um but like, like again by by it's by no means exhaustive mm-hmm. and when you read it you walk away understanding that this is directly written mm-hmm. to address two specific issues which are very important issues yes very important issues and when that happens uh it's difficult for me to believe that this is not a theological response that this is a political response yeah. Um, and I wonder, is that why they're doing this? Yeah, I think you have to ask that question. And, and not that the two are mutually exclusive, but I think you do have to ask the question, what's the motivation behind it? And I think that's where my heart gets a little nervous, because once mm-hmm. again, is it about an agenda or is it about people? Yeah. And if it's about agenda, then I don't I don't think not to say that anything it would be false, but the heart of it would be off. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. And I wish I wish they had done more. 
I wish they had said, you know, we affirm that these beliefs are true. We affirm, which is true. We do affirm those things, but we also affirm that that Christ is Lord of every situation. Mm -hmm. Article 10 is going to be a source of contention because the difficult part is, is we can say that, but we also believe that the only necessary belief is in Christ, yeah. uh, that we are, we are saved through Christ by faith, through grace in Christ alone. Mm -hmm. um, they're wanting pastors everywhere to sign this. They're wanting this to be a huge deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a feeling that within the next coming weeks, every pastor will have to make a decision about this document. Yeah. I don't feel like you can sign the document unless you agree with all of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, you can't be a four point Calvinist. You have yeah, to be a, yeah, you have to be a yeah. full tulip or you're not, yeah, are you yeah. not in the club at all? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, don't, I, I, that makes me nervous, but, um, I wish that there were more saying if someone in your church is struggling with homosexuality, this is what you do. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of interviewing one of Christian worship music's like all time greats, Dennis Jernigan. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, he, he talks about the gay issue because that, that was his struggle, yeah. like his whole struggle, his yeah. whole life. He even like caused me to rethink some things that, I had made assumptions about, I don't know how to deal with it. Like, I don't, I don't have an opinion and I, I don't know, like he's a conversion mm -hmm. guy. Like you can, yeah. you can um, teach people how not to be this yeah. or whatever. And, and before I went into that interview it was like very like, no, that's not a thing, Yeah, you know, <laughs> but by the end of the interview, I, like I was like, man, he's got some solid points yeah. and things yeah. that I had never thought about. And he says this beautiful thing about, identity and like you are who Christ says you are, not what you struggle with yeah, and, yeah. and things like that. And But isn't that the beauty of what we're talking about is that you had that conversation, you know, you came to the table, not only did you come to the table, but you were willing to listen. And I think so many people come to the table ready to defend their position right. and not to be an active listener and a learner. And I think that's the only way that we're ever going to have a healthy dialogue is if we're willing to just be honest and read people that we don't normally read, talk to people that we don't normally talk to, right. sit with people who that we don't normally sit with. And until we do that, it's going to continue to be us lobbing grenades at one another. Right. Is this a document that encourages that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But but we're both pastors at a church. Yeah. And um, we're both pastors at an evangelical church. Yeah. And I think that at some point this is going to come up. Like it's only been, it's been less than 24 hours Yeah, as we're recording this. It's not at the forefront of people's minds, Yeah, but I have a feeling that it's about to blow up. Yeah. Yeah. So especially with the people who are signing this, mm -hmm. where it's church leaders, like people that we love and respect and admire, John Piper, John MacArthur, Francis Chan, uh, Matt Chandler, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's 150 people who have already Evangelical church leaders have already signed it. There's no way that this is going to be a secret. Yeah. You know, what do we do? I mean, I, I think what could be positive from something like the national statement, although it does seem very black and white, as we've kind of alluded to in this conversation, is that hopefully it starts the conversation about right. how do we deal with this. And so hopefully it's not just a pastor that's just signing this and putting their name behind it, but that this is bringing to the forefront of their community to say, once again, I, I think the, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make in the church 
is that so often, if not all the time, we are reactive and not proactive. Right. So we start talking about issues after their issues and we never get ahead of the game. And so we, we go, man, things are not going well. We really need to develop these relationships. And in my head, I'm going, we were supposed to develop these relationships before the issue started. Right. Because you can't know it because after the issue, when you're reactive, people are always going, you're not going to be here when it's not an issue. And that's mm-hmm. the problem with with social issues, same sex marriage, abortion, race, gender, all of these issues. If we don't get ahead of it, it always the question is always going to be in the back of people's minds. Why are you really here? But when you get ahead of it, it's like, man, there must be something here because there's no net, there's no television, there's no media, there's no social. This is all just you trying to really work out what it means to be a disciple of Christ and minister to people. So if I have a listener, you're an academic, you have a background in education, you have a heart for apologetics. I'm going to give you a second to think about this and we can edit all your pauses. So (laughs) don't feel overwhelmed because I want, I want a measured answer to this. Yeah. How do I develop a framework to even process this? Yeah. How do I think Well, my first thing is it's not it's it's not a simple answer, and I, and I and that's and I think this is much more systemic than just this issue. Is that people want to hear, hey, what's a book I can read? It's not that simple. It's not simply reading a book because once again, that person is bringing all of their biases to the table, and so I would say that this is something that is going to take time. You're going to need to learn how to think clearly. You're going to need to learn to read from both sides. You're going to need to develop conversations. You're going to have to be willing to listen. Um, it's not as simple as saying, well, look at Romans 1, boom, drop mic, I'm done with this conversation. Because that's the problem is when people think it's just a sound bite, it's just a book, it's just a pastor, it's just a statement. It's not just a statement. There's so much more to it than just simplicity. It's nuanced. And, and I think people get nervous when they say that because when you say nuance, they say, oh, well, you're saying that there's not truth and there's not absolute. No, I'm, I'm affirming those things, but it's not as simple as a conversation. Marriage is not simple. It is something that you work through. It's something that you develop. As you develop your view of the world, it takes time right. and it takes mistakes and it takes honesty and it takes contrition to say, wow, I screwed that up. But I think we have to be willing to screw things up. I, I think we have to be willing to say things and engage in conversations and go, wow, that was, I had no idea. Well, now I know. But I think it's so much easier to stay with our group and you stay with your group and we'll lob over statements and you lob over your statements and, or really let's hide behind social media. Let's post something on the internet and then let's just be trolls and just conversate that way, which we know that that's never actually been effective. Right. Instead of being honest and going, hey, I'm going to go engage somebody that thinks the world is much differently. And by the way, here's the thing I really think it's important to understand is that a person who holds a different viewpoint on same-sex relationships, transgender, abortion, any social issue, at the end of the day, they really believe they're right. right. It, it's it's we Somehow in the back of our head, we think they know they're wrong, but they just keep being obstinate. No, they really think they're right. So I think it behooves us to say, hey, let's have an honest conversation. What am I not seeing? Once again, I'm not saying I'm going to give in my position, but this is this has driven me crazy for all these years is that as Christians, we want people to listen to us, but we don't want to listen to them. Right. And we don't see the problem with that. You know, we are so willing to go and be evangelists and be disciple makers, which I completely affirm. Hopefully I'm living my life that way. But then the second that 
they start to talk to us, mm-hmm. we, we, it's almost like if we listen, we're affirming them. Right. And I'm like, no, listening does not mean affirming. It means engaging. Right. Um, several years ago, I was having this conversation with this girl and she had completely unorthodox views of the gospel. And so I was talking to her and, and I was just listening. And there was, uh, there was a person in the room that was kind of in there with us. And, and at the end of it, this, this person, this lady was like, wow, she's like, you affirmed everything she said. And I said, no, I didn't. I just listened because tomorrow I want her to listen to me. Yeah. You know, but I think so we get so nervous that if they, nope, that's not, nope. We want to shut them down so quick. Right. And then, but then we want them to listen to us and not shut us down quick. Right. I, I don't understand why it's not seen as a two-way street. It, it's really frustrating to me. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And actually there's a, there's a couple of terms that, um, that have become pretty popular. One is mansplaining. Have you yeah. ever heard that term? I haven't, no. Or whitesplaining. Okay. And it's when, um, Men try and explain things to women that yeah. they have no context to understand. Yeah. Like they're trying to explain things about women that there's no way that they <laughs> could understand that. Yeah. So they're mansplaining it to them. Or when like uh, specifically white evangelical men are trying to explain to black people, yeah. like they're trying to frame their arguments or, or he's whitesplaining this to me or yeah. or whatever. But but this is this is a prime example of one of one of the things is is that when I look at the people who have signed this, and I don't know what all their struggles are, but they're not not famous people. They're not people who are not in the spotlight. Yeah, they're not people that we've never heard of before, and we make assumptions about what the reliefs are and what their struggles have been, mm-hmm. which is unfair, and I get that. But I wish there had been more people like Dennis Jernigan mm-hmm. that they had invited to be part of this conversation because sometimes we. Um, we make these arguments and defenses and things like that. And we don't have the whole story. Like we don't have the nuances that you, it is a very, there is, there's a nuanced issue here. Mm-hmm. There's, there's uh, the moral issue. Then there's the human rights issue. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what can people do and what can't people do? And, and how does morality define that? I don't know. Do you think that that as to me, that's an important person to have in that conversation do you think that 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 matters? Not that it changes what Scripture says, but I but I think that how do you speak into something that you really have no um, issue in? Because it's not yeah. just as much as people want this to just be a moral mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. in the church. Yes, this is one hundred percent moral issue, and the Bible defines that for us. Mm-hmm. But in society, this is not a moral issue. Yeah. This is a civil rights issue. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think you know inviting people to that conversation who wouldn't necessarily affirm the position or maybe wouldn't affirm it as readily. Mm-hmm. I don't. Once again, I love what you said here. I don't think it changes the truthfulness of the statement, but I do think going back to what we previously said, I think it takes it from an ideology to a person, right. and I think that's the mistake we make when we think we're arguing about ideas. We're arguing about ideas that people believe, and so we can argue all the time about ideas. Um, or discuss ideas, but we have to remember that these are human beings. Um, I started a, a friendship with a guy when I lived back in Illinois, and he was the president of the Atheist Society in mm-hmm. Peoria. And so here I am, probably one of the people in Peoria that was trying to affirm apologetics and worldview and defense of the gospel. Um, but I felt it was very important to befriend this person. So we went out to breakfast, and it was a great relationship. And I told him up front, I was like, I wanted to put skin on the ideas that I was challenging because that was going to help me be more honest 
and just painting people with a broad stroke and to say, you know, like you said earlier, all same sex people are pedophiles. Well, that's not true. And I didn't want to paint all atheists as mean people. They weren't all mean people. This guy, classic example, he was a great guy. He was an awesome guy that was doing great things in the community. And so I wanted to put some humanity to the ideology because I think when you bring somebody like a Dennis Jernigan into the question, it doesn't just remain an ideology. It becomes a person who holds that ideas. Ideas have consequences. I affirm that. But ideas are held by people and we need to love people while we challenge ideas. Are you going to sign this document? Yes. Why? I I affirm everything that it says. Uh, I mean, as far as there's nothing in there that I would see that was contrary to scripture. So, yeah, I would sign it. And what about me? Should I sign this document? Um, I can't speak for you. I mean, I can't say what you should do. <laughs> that was a loaded, totally a loaded question. Um, I was going to come at you. Yeah, I, no, I mean, that's, that's, that's your call and that's, yeah. that's your conviction. Um, I don't, once again, I, I think this whole, this whole podcast, I don't have a problem and I don't think you even have a problem with the truthfulness of the document. It's the implementation right. of it. That's the question. And I think that's where we've always struggled in the church is, not how do we hold the truthfulness, but how do we implement that in society? And that's where it becomes, you know. Why now? You, like, that's my question. Why now? If this is a theological issue, yeah. homosexuals have probably existed since, sure. you know, sure. third third, third or fourth batch of Adam's kids. I can't, I don't know yeah. that biblically. I'm yeah. just speaking hyperbole. Yeah. But, and, you know, transgender has always been a thing. Sure. Um, and... You know, the church has been in existence for yeah. over 2,000 years. So why well, why now? Why this statement? I mean, I'm going to borrow from C.S. Lewis. Good philosophy must exist if for no other reason that bad philosophy must be answered. Right. As long as culture continues to bring ideas to the table, the church still needs to be willing to respond. I, I am a big proponent of the cultural mandate. I believe that Christians are here not just to survive and get to heaven, but that we are to redeem society. And the more that we redeem society, so the more that this is talked about, the more that this is put into uh, education, the more that this is put into social media, the more this is put into Hollywood, the more the church has to be willing to respond to these things. uh, The fight is already here. And so I I don't see it as the church attacking. I see this as a church responding. And hopefully, once again, in love, hopefully we're saying, man— I hope that somebody comes to me and they go, hey, I just want to let you know what you're about to do is harmful to you. It's outside of the boundaries. Hopefully that is the message that the church has. It's not about we're the gatekeepers and tell you what is right and wrong. But hopefully it's that, hey, we've been entrusted with this knowledge. We want to lovingly share this with you because we believe it's going to be harmful to you. And so why is this harmful? Well, I think scripture clearly teaches that it's outside of God's, just like somebody who's in a premarital sexual relationship. I would not affirm that. I would not, I will not do a wedding of somebody who's in a sexually active relationship. And then they come to me and say, Hey, we want to be married. I'm not going to do that. Right. Because I believe that's outside of God's boundaries. Right. And I think we, myself included, I need to be more vocal about that as I am more vocal about same sex transgender, because once again, there's, there's no, they're all outside of God's boundaries. Right. According to scripture. So, and I, you know, I come from this school of thought where uh, I believe in cultivating what is good, mm-hmm. right? So I don't, I don't, I don't feel like maybe this is kind of fatalist mm-hmm. in that I believe that God runs all things. Yeah, fatalist in that respect. But yeah. Whatever, wherever I see good, wherever I see like God is moving, 
uh, I want to be part of that discussion. And yeah. so my perspective is always to cultivate what is good in the world uh, and to affirm that. I guess I'm just coming from the opposite. Yeah. Same goal, opposite yeah. end. Yeah, absolutely. You know? No, and I, I think, you know, we need to be better in the church, better in our youth groups, not necessarily talking about what is wrong with same-sex marriage, but talking about what is right with marriage. Right. And so affirming. That, and, that, and that's my direction. Yes. Like cultivating what is good. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's talk about let's talk about why it is uh why it is better to wait to have sex after marriage than before marriage. Let's talk about that. So rather than talking about, well, the STDs that you can get or the relationships or stuff, what if we talked about somebody that said, hey, man, here's what my marriage looked like and here's what we didn't bring to the table because we were faithful to what God had called us to do. It, man, it was tough. It was a struggle. But we what we did it the way God did it, man, we're reaping the blessings. So let's talk about that as opposed to the narrative of all the negative things that are going to happen if you go outside God's boundaries. Now, neither one is necessarily more or less truthful, but I do think that there's, I would much rather be positive than to be negative, which puts defensive walls up and people don't ever have conversations. Can we talk about article four for a second? Yeah. Um, The way that this is written, when you read this, you're going to note that uh, all the articles are written in the affirmative uh, and in the negative. So they affirm something and they deny something else. So in Article form, uh, 4, they say, We affirm the divinely ordained differences between male and female reflect God's original creation design and are meant for human good and human flourishing. We deny that such differences are a result of the fall or a tragedy to be overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, like when I read that, I know that it's specifically talking about uh, transgenderism. Yes. Probably. Yes. yes. But like if I'm, you know, if I'm a pro-feminist man or I'm a, I'm a feminist woman, then is, you know, are, the, are they saying like it kind of feels like there's a tinge of like, you know, God made you a woman mm-hmm. and and or God made you a man. And there are things that specifically only you can do as a man and things specifically you can only do as a woman and you just need to be OK with that. Yeah. And even beyond just like the transgender issue, there's a yeah. tinge of that in there to me. Yeah, yeah. So, and I know like uh, John Piper wrote a book. Was it John Piper? I'm pretty sure it's John Piper. I'll check, and I might there might be a retraction in my notes, but he wrote a book. What's the difference? Yeah, specifically talking about what are the differences between mm-hmm. men and women? Like, why is the church so hard on women? To deal with that. I know that that's a big question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. Um, so. I mean, I, I honestly, I think if once again, maybe to go one step deeper, I think the issue that we're dealing with right now with not necessarily right now, but just the church has dealt with for 2000 years and, and just women is trying to figure out, you know, in scripture, what is contextual, you know, and what is universal. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of confusion with some of the uber fundamentalists because they'll point to a passage and I'm going, man, I think that was a situational thing. That wasn't a universal thing. Like. Paul was saying for women to be quiet in this context, in this situation, he wasn't right. saying for the rest of life that they should be quiet. And so I think we have to be better at hermeneutics, which once again is not exciting and it's not fun because it's not debatable, but I think it comes down to a poor hermeneutic approach and we take things out of context and right. we misunderstand the author's intent. And so I think that's where we have to wrestle and be honest with one another and go, man, was this something that, is God's intent for this situation or is this God's intent for all of creation for right. all of time? So, and, and then you have like, there's this question, like how is, how is a personality trait 
male or female. Yeah. You know, and um, if if a man is sensitive, is is he effeminate? And are we battling like effeminism in, in men? Like when you see a young man who's effeminate, does he need to be does he need to be schooled and corrected and, yeah. and discipled in a different way? Or you know, and it begins like this uh, this whole discussion. Like if a if a woman is exceptionally strong or courageous or, or yeah. whatever, and then I think about in the Bible who was according to the Bible effeminate. Yeah. Um, if he were, you know, a Southern Baptist today would, you know, how would would, would he be viewed? Yeah. yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And I I think that's, you know, that's why I appreciate, you know, some of Piper's work and some of the other people that, you know, try to define what are the characteristics of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, because I think it can become about a lot of other things where it becomes more um, emotional, you know, like, oh, if you're emotional, then you're effeminate, you know, and it's like, well, that's not really what the Bible describes as manhood or womanhood. Like, so I, I think it becomes confused once again by culture and not by yeah. scripture. Also, I would like to say that's a great book. Yeah, that's a really great book. So if you get a chance to check it out, check it out. So also there's this other Bible series called Authentic Manhood that is killer. You should check that out too. Really good. So um, I'm all about resourcing people. So as you know, man, that this is all just really, really intense stuff. Was there any article that stood out to you? Like I said before, I I really um, appreciated articles in the beginning one and two, just because it, it it does affirm you know that we are made in the image of God, and I just I feel like one of the frustrating things is when you come to these discussions, we initially start out with all the things that we don't agree with, right. as opposed to affirming some of the things. One of the best classes I took in, in school was we were looking at the differences and the nuances between evangelicals and Catholicism. And I we spent probably the first half of the class talking about all the things that we agreed on. And I just I just loved and appreciated that because it seems like whenever you come to a discussion, you just push those aside. Oh, yeah, I know we agree on these things. Let's talk about what we don't agree on. And I'm like, why do we do that? Why don't we sit around and talk about all the things that we affirm at least as a starting off point. And so I appreciated that they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated their, the, the fact that they recognize that these are, these are hopefully that even though this document is representing ideologies, that those ideologies are being birthed in humans that were created in the image of God right. that are loved hopefully by the church as much as they're loved by God. Right. Hopefully. I always try and judge things by their fruit. And I yeah. always try and think about, what is this producing in people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, I'm really, I'm really interested to see what happens over the next six months. Yeah. What is this going to do in the church? Yeah. Um, like who is going to, who's this going to rile up? Uh, and what are their arguments going to be yeah. for or against, or it was really important to me to, to address this issue as soon as we possibly could uh, so that we could help people with an apologist. So we could help people, kind of have a framework to which to think about. Yeah. Um, so just let me ask you a couple of things as we, as we close up, I want to yeah. respect your time. What happens when I don't agree with something that the Bible says? So when you don't agree with, but well, I mean, I think that once again, goes much deeper is, you know, are you, are, do you agree that the Bible is the word of God? So that's the first question. So uh, I think that's perfectly fine for you to struggle with scripture. I mean, it seems like David wrestled with God. It seems like Job wrestles with God. So I think that's fine. But 
I think that you have to be willing to put yourself into submission to God's word. And so I think there can be the initial, man, I'm struggling with this. I'm not understanding this. But I think it's to humble ourselves and to say, maybe, um, hopefully, prayerfully through this process that God's going to teach me. I, I find it, and I've done this myself, so I'm speaking to myself. I find it fascinatingly arrogant when when we have the audacity to really wrestle with scripture just and be like carte blanche and be like, yeah, that's wrong. Right. I mean, like, who am I? Who am I? No, I, I think God is big enough and I think he's honest enough and I think he's willing to engage in those conversations. But there's sometimes where I've just met people and they're like, well, that's wrong. And right. I'm like, okay. But you, you know, it's, it's always going to be the same argument, right? People are always going to come at me as a, as a Christian, you know, as a Christian leader, they're going to be like, why are tattoos wrong, but men allowed to shave? Yeah. You know, why, uh, why can't women speak in church, but you're allowed to eat a bacon double cheeseburger? Yeah. Uh, which the Bible says you shouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and how do we, how do we answer that? Like, why, uh, why this sin? Like, yeah. why is this the sin that we're going to take a stand on? Yeah. But nothing else. And well, what, 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 how would you tell Christian leaders to approach that? Yeah. Well, I think we need to, I think we need to teach. Christians how to think soundly. And I think, once again, all of those questions come down to poor hermeneutics, that yeah. we're not reading scripture correctly. And, and we need we need people to understand the distinction between the Old Testament and New Testament. We need people to understand the distinction between context and taking things out of context, reading into the text. And so I don't, once again, I would love to say that there's this, hey, I got this one sentence and it's going to solve all your problems, but it's not. It's, yeah. it's much deeper than that. And we have to be willing to do the work. We have to be willing to recognize that for us to deal with these very nuanced issues, it's not as simple as listening to one podcast. I'm hoping that this podcast is a catalyst it's not there's no way in 45 minutes that you and I could develop obviously answer. you have never listened to this podcast <laughs> I'm just kidding I have but 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 I think that's what people want today is yeah. they want hey what is the what is the link that I can click on what is the book that I can read what is the yeah. soundbite that I can listen to and I just want to go man if that's your if if that's what you're willing to put into it you're you're probably always going to be in that position because we've got to be willing to just Ask these tough questions. And you're always and, going to be angry and you're always going to be. Yeah. Because yeah. it's it's always going to be one-sided. And what impresses me is that so many Christian leaders can care more about the fact that these people are homosexual than they care about the fact that these people are going to hell. Mm -hmm. And and so their sin becomes more important than their soul. Yeah. Uh, and, and we have to, we always have to be doing that because I agree with you. The most loving thing that we can do for someone is to confront them with the truth. And if you're my friend, you know, I am a confrontator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am consistent. In you that. are the most loving person. <laughs> he did air quotes. I'm so <laughs> quote unquote loving, but yeah, I, but you know, because I, I believe that if you love somebody, like if, if you know that somebody is going to, going to hell mm -hmm. and you, and you know that that's a real thing, you believe that, like, how much do you have to hate somebody to not mm -hmm. tell them? Yeah. Do you I know. know what I mean? It's a serious thing. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's about connecting people with God yeah. and, and all of those things. And we're all going to have our stumbling blocks. Yeah. And I wish I could say, yes, I, I 100% affirm everything because I believe that the Bible is true, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I believe that. Yeah. Matt Chandler knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and I believe yeah. that Francis Chan is someone that I can, I can sit under his teaching and his tutelage, but I still have to wrestle. Mm -hmm. It's not enough for me to just look at my leaders and say, they believe this. So I believe this. Yeah. That's a cop out. 
Like I still have to wrestle with the information that is in the Nashville statement uh, and compare it to what I believe that is true about scripture and compare it to what I believe that God is working in my life and what God has called me to do in my community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have to think about what does attaching this, my name to this, how does that affect my ability to minister where God has put me? Yeah. Um, And how does that affect my call? And all of those, it can never just be like, let's just jump on board. But we have to realize like every decision we make, especially as Christian leaders, not only are we going to have to answer to God for those, but I, I also think like we have to think about the consequences. And so, yes, I can believe these things. If signing a document like this is going to hurt my witness in my community, mm-hmm. Then I have to. I have to think about that. I agree. It, well, here, here's the thing: the document is clean. The yeah. conversation is messy. And, well said. And I think that's. I think that's where this this podcast. This is what we're talking about here: is that we can affirm something clean. This say, hey, this is clearly from Scripture. It seems to affirm everything that we would do. But we have to recognize that the conversation is going to be messy, and that there's going to be challenge to it. And here's the other thing: the conversation is going to take a really, really, really long time. I love how we think sometimes as evangelicals that if we present truth, that people are automatically going to change. And yet, we know that we didn't change right away. That God worked on our hearts on certain issues, continues to work on certain issues, and it takes time. But somehow, we want to put down a document or throw down a book or show a video clip and expect people just to be changed all of a sudden. And it's, it's something that takes a long time. And I think also what becomes messy with this is how does this play out in everyday life? And so we did this a couple of years ago at the school I taught in Illinois. We had a chapel around same sex marriage and we talked about it, but I told the kids up front, I said, we're not talking about what scripture teaches. We're just assuming if you guys want to discuss that later, we can do that. We just want to talk about what does it look like? So we brought a panel of six different people up there and we said, would you go to the wedding? When some people said, no, I want to go to the wedding, but I would go to the party afterwards. Some people said, you know, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable going to the party because I feel like that would be affirming, but I would talk to them privately, you know? And so it was great. I thought for the kids to see that it's not as simple as just affirming if it's right or wrong. It's very messy because how do you do that in your spirit where you feel that there's not conviction Mm-hmm. Um, and where do you see that playing out in your community? And once again, that doesn't change the truthfulness of what you believe, right. but the practicality of it may be different between me and you, right. where I may feel like in my spirit that I don't feel comfortable doing that. You may feel very comfortable. And hopefully we've both wrestled with God on this. We both wrestle with scripture right. and we've come to a point where we go, we affirm the same thing, but it looks a little bit different on the way that it's played Absolutely. out. And I, and I would say, I would say. For those of you who are on the opposite end of this yeah. and, and um, quote unquote, the liberal side of this yeah. or whatever, yeah. I, I would just constantly encourage you uh, to say, I've submitted myself completely to God mm-hmm. and w- I believe what he believes. And so if you want to focus on the love issue, absolutely focus on the love issue, but but don't condemn yourself in the process. Yeah. You know, be careful, you know. The Bible says, watch your life and your doctrine closely, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Mm-hmm. And, and to remember that, to remember that we can't, we can't, uh, we can't affirm things that the Bible does not affirm. Yeah. And we can't, you know, we can't deny things that the Bible does blatantly say. Um, and maybe, maybe we say like sin exists, but grace exists also. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe we want to focus on the grace. But you can't do that 
and just throw the rest of the Bible out too. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm speaking as again, a quote unquote liberal person, yeah. but remembering also that because of who I am and what God has done in my life, like I'm fully submitted to him. And I have affirmed that I believe that the, the Bible is the inerrant word of God. And all yeah. of those things are true. Yeah. So it's tough stuff, man. It, it really is. And, and the fact, uh, if somebody came to me and said, man, this is tough. I'm like, you're in the right place. Yeah. If it's easy, then I think you're in the wrong place. If it's simple, well, this is clearly, well, we're not saying it's clearly. The practicality of it, it is hard because it involves people. Yeah. Marriage is challenging because it involves another human. Child rearing is hard because it involves another human. Social issues are challenging because it involves other humans. When it becomes simple, you've taken out the human factor. Yeah, and absolutely. that's the problem. Hey, where can we connect with you online? Uh, www.joeparis.org. A lot of my blogs and just different articles, things awesome. like that are on there and just go there. So are you available? Things. Are you available for questions? I am. Yeah. If you want to get a hold of me, it's uh, jparis at sealifec.com. Okay. And uh, love to get coffee. I don't drink coffee, soda, yeah. uh, Chick-fil-A. I eat there a lot, um, but I'd yeah. love to just discuss this. And once again, I, I know you that we have some Australian listeners. You're going to go to Australia. And I would, I, you know what? It's, if I could fit it in my schedule, that'd I think be great. We have, if you're listening in Italy, if you're that one person in Italy. Hey, we're glad you're listening. Hey, we'd love to, we'd love to come to a, a side cast. Yeah. We do that for sure. No, I mean, I think there's so many things that we can learn. Um, and, and I'd love to, I'd love to be, uh, this, this is not the view that I've held for the last 10 years. It's changed and it's yeah. developed, hasn't radically changed. But you know what's what's helped me the most is I befriended people who have a different viewpoint, and I've put skin on an idea, and it's changed the way that awesome. I respond. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. We'll make sure to include your information in our show notes. Uh, we will also be sure to include a link, uh, if not the entire document, depending on what we're able to do, of the Nashville statement. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, we'd love to hear your opinion. Make sure you tell us what's going on. Be part of the discussion at www.productiveministry.org. Thanks for listening. And that's our show for today. Remember, if you want to donate toward Hurricane Harvey Relief, you can visit our page, ProductiveMinistry.org slash Harvey. That's ProductiveMinistry.org slash Harvey. Today's episode was produced by Tim Jenkins. That's me. Special thanks to Joe Paris for being our guest today. The Productive Ministry podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are served. You can also find us on the web at ProductiveMinistry.org, which is also home of our extended show notes. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we ask you to please rate and subscribe. This really does help us. We hope that you'll share this episode, and we'd love to talk to you about it. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ProductiveMinistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at ProdMinistry. That's P-R-O-D Ministry. Tweet about the show using the hashtag Productive Ministry, and we'll thank you on next week's show. This has been a production of Rumble Media LLC, and as we say every time, we hope you have a productive week.